We are drawing to a conclusion of our study to the letter to the Galatians, and we are at what's demarked as chapter 6, starting with verse 11. I'm going to spend a whole lot more time on verse 11 than its value, because it's a non-doctrinal sentence. But I want to take this non-doctrinal sentence to discuss doctrine and teaching. And so verse 11 says this, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So at this point, Paul had been usually dictating his letter to the churches of Galatia. And at this point, he takes over the writing and writes himself. Now there are at least three views and then my view of what's happening here. View number one, people say, well, this just confirms that the, the, the thorn in, in Paul's flesh is that he doesn't see well, and so he's got to write large letters. Okay. Another view is that just as children, and if you read children's books, their writings are larger, and so he's writing as if he's writing to children. Okay, that's plausible, I, whatever. The next view is, and this one, you, 21st century Americans at least will understand this one, it's, it's Paul's version of writing things in all caps. That's, in essence, when you write things in all caps, you're yelling. So Paul's writing large, and he's yelling. Okay, here's my view. I'm going to use an example. There was a, uh, a pastor that I know, and many of you know this uh, pastor, and he wrote very, very small. I would even say he wrote tiny. It was legible, but it was tiny writing. Now, that would be very valuable, especially in times when paper or scrolls are scarce and expensive. So the more you can get on a page, the better, or the more you can get in a scroll, the better. So writing tiny is a good thing. I can't write tiny. Even the writing that I do, people have a hard time reading it anyway. They say I should have been a doctor. My response is two things. One, bad writing shows that you're a genius. And two, uh, writing is an art form and I'm not an artist. And so if this other pastor was writing something, whether it's a letter or some other document, and then I said, okay, it's my turn, and I started writing, my writing would be large in comparison. It's not that I'm mad at anybody. It's not that I can't see. It's not that I'm yelling. It's not that I'm talking to children. My natural writing compared to his was large. I think that's what's going on. I don't think he's yelling. I don't think he can't see. I'd... But who's right? I don't know. I guess when we get to heaven, we'll ask Paul what the deal was. But the reason I want to bring this up is, whichever of those four views, or you come up with another one, it just doesn't matter. However, doctrine does. 
And a lot of times people will give you their views about the Scripture and what they think about the Scripture. And quite frankly, I don't care. What is it that the Scripture says? What is it that is the correct doctrine? What is it that the Scripture is trying to teach us? And so oftentimes what we do is we go, huh, the pastor said that. I never heard of it that way before. It must be right. Search the Scriptures. That's going to be really tough. to search. That's why I'm using this one. Because you can't say I'm right or wrong. It's my view. But it's an important view because it's not doctrine. So then we're going to move on. But at this point, Paul is coming to the conclusion of this letter and he has decided to make it personal. And the reason I think that it's, he's decided to make it personal is because what's going to follow is very personal. Before he's been writing about things that they have done and they should do and doctrine and, and the errors and those types of things. But now he's going to give even a little more of a personal touch to this. So he says, Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. So he said, I'm going to make this personal now. I've talked about the fact that those who are trying to follow the law are wrong. So much so that they ought to be g-damned. That's how strong Paul's conviction is. And he's telling them, how did you start? Did you receive the Spirit by following the law or by coming in faith in Christ? And so he's gone back to this, this theme again to say, The difference is those who want you to become circumcised, those of you, those who want you to to follow the law, do it out of selfish motives. They want people to be impressed by them. And the, the truth of the matter is, while they're trying to get you to follow the law, they don't. In today's world, we're not so much into following the law, but we're into being impressed with ourselves. And so people will teach things because they're popular or because they'll increase the, the, the size of their congregation or the size of their offerings. And so the people will be impressed with their growth. It's about them. It's not about you. It's not about the church of God. It's about them receiving the glory. But they do it so they won't be persecuted. And Paul's very aware of persecution because he used to be a persecutor. He was one of them. So enamored with the law that he has sought to persecute those who would drive you away from it. And he's saying, they do it because they don't want the pressure. But they don't follow the law themselves. And they desire that, they may, that you may be circumcised so that they can boast and say, in essence, look at how many people I have won to my argument that you ought to follow the law. And you will hear... 
pastors and TV evangelists today often talking about how great their ministry is and how large their ministry is. And in essence, how... And, and they seemingly do it innocently. I even heard somebody today saying, how can I tell the world? How can we tell the world? It's not about me. It's about the church following the command of God. Not about me doing it. It's we are a community. We are a team. We are to do this together. We are disciples. But we want to boast, look at what I've done for the Lord. And the obvious answer is you've done nothing. It's God who does all. God gives the increase. But they're seeking to, to boast in the accomplishment. Paul's response is, again, personal. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, I know what those guys are like because I used to be zealous for the, for the law. And it was all about being zealous for the law. And now he says, there's one thing I'm willing to boast about. It's not how many churches I've started in throughout the Asia and Europe. It is not about how many people have come to faith. It's not about raising people from the dead. It's not about being shipwrecked and being recovered. It's not about being stoned and then rising up. It's not about being sick. It's not about any of those things. My boast is the cross of Christ. Now we, 2,000 years later, go, awesome. But this is a unique boast because, again, the cross during this time was a cruel, terrible death that brought shame and pain to those who were involved. And Paul's saying that shame that the world wants to, to, to look away from, that's where I'm going to boast. Because that's where God did something. He exchanged my sin and my unrighteousness for Christ. That He made something different. That I became dead from being dead to alive. And again, I think we don't really understand the significance of that. So much so, I heard someone share this, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase what they said was. So they were talking about giving witness and testimonies. And my position's kind of always been that being a next nothing is a great testimony. And what we tend to do is say, somebody who is, you know, drugs or immorality or all these things and in prison, and then they they quote-unquote see the light and follow the Lord, and they give these testimonies. And people who are ex nothing tend to think, well, I have no testimonies. Well, here's an awesome testimony for those of you who grew up in church. Rx nothing. I was dead. And now I'm alive. A dead person can do absolutely nothing. A person in a coma might wake up. We're not in comas. We were dead. And Jesus, through the gospel, raised us from the dead and gave us eternal life. That, in and of itself, is an awesome testimony. So Paul says, I'm not going to boast about my ministries. 
I'm not going to be um, boast about the fact that God made me an apostle. I'm not going to boast about the fact that I saw the risen Savior. What I'm going to boast about is His cross. The very same thing that the person who has an awesome testimony or the ex-nothing can boast about as well. So I'm only going to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me. Paul's saying, when it comes to the world, it's dead to me. Now most of us would like to say that, but we don't do it. We might say it. Because we're still very concerned about our place in this world, about our purpose and about acquiring things and doing our dreams and doing whatever. There's a, there's a it's not so new, there's a, a contemporary Christian uh, song that I think the first time you hear it kind of smacks you in the face. It says, dream small. Because we're always told to dream big. And he goes, dream small. And he talks about a pastor in a little church just helping a few people. Because you see, the world's dead to them. The world has no meaning. So the world may say, oh, you're wonderful. Write books. We want to follow you. All, Paul's going, don't care. The world's dead to me. Not only dead to me, crucified, which means I'm ashamed of it. The thing that you're saying that I ought to be ashamed of, the death and resurrection of my Lord on the cross, I'm saying I'm ashamed of the world. It's dead to me. And I to the world. I have no impact on it. It has no impact on me. What it thinks is significant and important, I don't. It doesn't affect me. I don't affect it. For neither is circumcision anything, nor uncircumcision anything. He's going right back. It doesn't matter whether you've been circumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're uncircumcised. It doesn't matter whether you started out following the law. It doesn't matter whether you never follow the law. That's not what's important. What is important is being a new creation. The closest way for people to understand is almost, but I don't like this explanation. I'm going to give you a different one, but I'll give you the first one. We have a tendency to think that this new creation is like metamorphosis, kind of like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. It goes from this worm-looking, hairy thing to something that's beautiful and can fly. Paul doesn't say we're metamorphous. We are a new creation. We are something totally different than when we started with. So the question I have for you and the question I have for me. So are you different? Paul has talked about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And that we are told to take a look and to see, is the 
fruit of the Spirit within our lives. And that gives us some indication of what God is doing or not doing in our lives. But all too often, what we're very quick to do is say, well, I'm only human. Not if you're a believer, you're a new creation. You're the child of God. You're not only human. You may still be holding out in this house and what Paul calls a tent because it's temporary. But just as a tent is not the same as a mansion, you're not just a human. We like to use that as an excuse for our failings. But the deal is, Yes, we do fail, and Jesus covers all of our sins. But the point is, we are not to be like we were. We are to be a new creation. Something fundamentally different. It was like being a sheep and becoming a unicorn. Totally different. Significant and beautiful. Paul will talk about being a new creature in Corinthians. He says this in verse 16 of chapter 5. Therefore, no, we'll, we'll go, um, where am I? Okay, I'm sorry, verse 16, yeah, I messed up. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. I don't look at you and say, oh, your past sins define you. And I won't list them because our sins are too numerous and too often have they identified us. I'll give an example We'll talk about people who are drunks or we'll talk about people who are addicted or we'll talk about whatever and those things seem to define them. And Paul says we don't recognize what you were in the past is irrelevant. We don't recognize the flesh anymore. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the conclusion, if anyone is in Christ. That doesn't say if anyone but you in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, that's the qualifier. If you're in Christ, he, you, are a new creature. I'm not a human. I'm a new creature. I'm a child of God. The old things passed away. The old, there's no longer, oh, well, I'm only human. No, that passed away. I'm a new creature. Behold, new things have come. Too often, we as believers want to hold on to the past when God has got so much more for us. We think about our dreams and how God can fulfill our dreams 
when God may give us an entirely different dream that is far beyond what we might think or imagine. We are new. We are different. We're not just metamorphous. We are a new creature. And those will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The peace of God is on you when you understand and you live as a new creation, as a new creator. Because the things of this world are dead. And you're dead to it. Your goals, your desires, your dreams are different than they were because as I used to think as a child, I dreamed as a child, I acted as a child. But now as a new creature, the old just doesn't matter anymore. So again, the question is, are we different? You see, the world is satisfied with having a better version of them. And there's all kinds of self-help books and motivation classes and churches who talk about how to be a better you. And I'm here to say that, yeah, being a better me would be wonderful. But thinking about dreaming small, that is. Because we are not called to be a better us. We have been called to be like Christ. Is that what we want? Is that our desire? If that's what we want and that's what our desire is, and God will give it to us. But being a better me will always come up short. And then Paul will be a little testy in verse 17. It says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me. I've had it with you. Who keep trying to tell people they ought to live by the law. I've dealt with six chapters that we call it on the freedom in Christ, how faith alone and Christ alone gives salvation and that you can't add anything to it, you can't subtract from it, that God causes the change and that we are new and different. It's not worth arguing with you anymore. You either see the truth or you don't. For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. Paul said, yeah, I used to persecute, but I've been persecuted. So much so that all you have to do is look at me and you know that I have suffered for Christ. 
in our world at best. The brand marks of following Jesus may be psychological. Somebody laughs at our faith and we throw a tizzy because they're persecuting us. Paul says, I have put my faith in action and the ones who want to be praised because they try to get you to follow the law. They seek to avoid persecution. But I remember what Jesus said. A slave is not above his master. If they hated me, they will hate you. And I carry that branding on my body. And rather than being ashamed, I will show you that. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And why I don't think he calls them children and rights large, because he goes back and calls them brothers. Not children, not disobedient, brothers. Amen. The letter to the Galatians is still relevant for us today. It still shows us how to live. It shows us doctrinal correctness. It shows us how to determine whether we are his children by inspecting the fruit of our existence and to take away the excuses that I'm only human. Because God has begun a good work in you, and he is faithful to complete it. Just as a dead body can do nothing for itself, God, by his power, has changed us. And we should not be content with where we are. But every day, closer and closer and closer to the image of his son. And if necessary, to, brand, to bear those branding marks. But until then, to not boast in what we've done, but boast in what he has done. And all God's people said,